Tonight's a special night. Normally, when we meet around this fire to tell our tales, each one of us has our own special brand of terror. Some of us tell stories of adventure. Others have tales of the macabre and grotesque. Some tell stories about real people trapped in an unreal world. Or heroes searching for the truth. No two stories are alike. That's because no two of us are alike. That's why two of us are telling the story tonight. You're kidding. Why? Because it's so major. It needs the best of both of us. It's got magic and mayhem. It's about an evil power so strong that it survived for centuries, waiting to rise up and spread its terror. Excellent. What are we waiting for? Your Honor. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. We call this story... The Tale of Cutter's Treasure. Welcome back, everyone. Before we jump in, I realized that in recording, our guests and I were so excited to get started that we didn't sum up the series. So today, we're taking a deep dive into the files of... Are You Afraid of the Dark? A show that premiered in the early 90s on Nickelodeon that would bring tales of terror, fright, heroes, villains, the macabre, and the missing to Saturday evening programming centered for older children and teenagers. It was truly terrifying in many ways and set forth many of us on a path or many people on a path towards a love of horror, the macabre, and true crime. The show ran in its initial run for five seasons and then was revived again in 1999 for two seasons. And then recently, with the emergence of Paramount Plus, two new movies premiered where it centers around the newest version of the Midnight Society, though in a more traumatized way. There's always more to deep dive into on YouTube, so I highly recommend you look at that. Now, welcome back to the show. Welcome back, serial killers, to another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. You all asked for more 90s-inspired nostalgia. I couldn't think of a better place to go for 90s nostalgia than Nickelodeon. Uh, so uh, we're doing Are You Afraid of the Dark today? And I couldn't uh, think of anyone better to have on the show with me than author, podcaster, Disney dad, one of my favorite people, Pat Edwards. Pat, welcome back to the show. Hey. Good morning. Good, good morning, morning to you. Good morning to you, Maddie, and to to everyone else. Good, whatever time of the day it is for you. So, so if for some reason anyone doesn't know who you are, could you just fill them in a little bit? Who you are, what you yeah. do, how they might know your voice? For sure. All right. So I am, uh, I guess, a writer first and foremost because that is where um, income comes from. Can you believe it? I'm not paying my mortgage with podcasting. What? <laughs> what? We're not in um, PR. What? <laughs> but uh, so I, I'm a writer. I have a couple major things uh, there. I've got an ongoing science fiction comedy novel series called Space Tripping, and uh, we are recording this exactly one week before the release of the sequel, Space Tripping Two: The Chaser. And so, whenever this comes out. Uh, you can either still pre-order it, order it, or you can order order it. Um, if well, we'll do a plug at the end, but if you, if you just go to thepatedwards.com, it's my website. It's got all the links there to it. It'd be yeah. If you like drunken sci-fi shenanigans with little with some uh, ne'er do wells, you keep getting into wacky misadventures. That's that's the space tripping series. Uh, and then I also write professionally for some. Uh, 
independent, like independent gaming publications. When I say gaming, like TTRPGs, like uh, ye old dungeons and or dragons. <laughs> but uh, so I, I wrote, uh, co-wrote this very large epic gothic metal adaptation campaign called the Red Opera. I'm a contributing writer on a book called Sirens, Battle of the Bards. I've got a couple other things in the works. Um, also do a little screenwriting here and there. I had a short film last year. It's won some awards this year called Joining Call. I'm working on a feature film, hopefully to be shot in 2022. Uh, so those are the those are the writing things. And then yeah, I love I love the podcast. I love to stream. I love talking and chatting with people. I'm a very social creature. So my I'd say that probably I don't know, maybe the main one we call it is on this same network called Let's Rewatch, where myself and three other wonderful human beings. Um it's a little it's a little bit different format than you know there's a lot of content review you know con, you know anal- analyze show and movie podcasts our little twist is that uh every episode's about a movie and it's broken into two halves and in the first half we have not watched the movie yet and so we talk about it for a little bit have some conjecture throughout some wild predictions and then go all watch it and then immediately come back on minutes after having finished the movie to talk about whether or not it held up or where our predictions you know, off base or accurate. Um, and then I also uh, do a D&D streaming show on Geekly Inc. on the Geekly Inc. Twitch channel every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern with a bunch of very, also very delightful human beings. So we love it. We love to see it. Yeah, I love I I uh, I love Let's Rewatch. I was a fan before I met you guys. Uh, but yeah, I know I love it because it's such a guttural emotional response always, especially especially recently, like with pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, always. I always love Ash's outbursts for you because uh, because Pat always brings uh, Pat always brings a hot take, but it's always it's a wonderful time. I highly recommend anyone who hasn't for some reason gone to listen because you've been on this show several times ash has been on uh breton breton sam will be on uh but uh yeah i highly recommend anyone go go watch uh go watch jesus christ go listen and watch your watch your streams during the week um so i reached out pat to you and was like let's do something spooky because i'm doing spooky things Mm -hmm. and um through a series of unfortunate and you know fortunate events we were able to do this uh and i thought it was actually interesting because you said you have a very specific memory of are you afraid of the dark premiering and kind of the creation of snick and it is i mean 92 we're talking peak nickelodeon it had been two years since the the like network as we knew it really founded itself with with shows like rugrats and things um but why don't you tell us a little bit about that kind of first impression of the show kind of how it's seared in your brain and how it stuck with for you. sure yeah that's one of those mem- i feel like my memory is not great honestly uh <laughs> i have three small children and that just shatters your memory um and then but i very much vividly remember the airing of the first episode it, you said a word that so, some listeners may be like what did he did he uh trip over another word he was trying to say Snick. <laughs> <Snick>. yes <laughs> Snick. so snick <laughs> everyone was uh so nickelodeon of course you know uh was the they really had the 90s i know like disney mm-hmm. it seems is like the mm-hmm. the the top of the heap for for children's entertainment and they have obviously just taken over and blown up and are now the mm-hmm. monolithic 
demigods of that world. But they've had their ups and downs. And the 90s, I would say really Nickelodeon, I feel like really had children's entertainment brand on lock as as the place you, where you watched all your shows. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, you mentioned Rugrats. So there were a lot of uh, for, for kids, for smaller children, kids. And then they had this thing where they were going to do it was Saturday. So Snick, Saturday, Nick. It was a Saturday night block of sh- evening block of shows or like four. I think I think I think I think I remember the original four too, because there's been some evolution or there was over the years of like these are still for kids, but you know, maybe slightly older kids. I was uh in ninety it was ninety-two when it premiered, so I was uh eight at the then. So I was born in eighty-four. Um and it was like, so we're going to do these shows that are still for children, but, you know, slightly older children that mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, eight mm-hmm. to 10, eight to 12 range, you know, range. And I think, OK, the original four, I want to say, were Roundhouse. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? <laughs> it was like that was it was a weird like sketch show in, in like a weird stage in the middle of a room mm-hmm. that have a live audience, I think. Um, and then. I believe running Stimpy. Yes, that was the second well, one. OK, yes. and uh-huh. then. Okay, I'm gonna say a show that everyone knows, and I I don't know if this is one of the OG four. Was all that one of the original? It was not, but it oh, added very man. quickly. No, the original. You are correct. So Snake debuted Saturday, August fifteenth of nineteen ninety two, um, with a pair of Disney favorites that are not Disney. I'm sorry, Nickelodeon favorites that already existed, which was Clarissa explains it all. Okay, that was and, the other one in my and, head. I was like, and is, it, and is it all that or Clarissa? Is it all that? I was like, Ren and Snippy, and, and then they added Roadhouse, and then it ended with yeah. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yep. And now was, all that would go on to be part of this, along with like pete and pete um mm-hmm. secret world of alex mack which is one of my favorite uh space cases which is another one that we were almost going to do for this adventures of pete and pete um yeah. those those kinds of shows because it did rotate because snick was always on the air but the shows that they were showing weren't always on the air uh so they mm-hmm. you know and then it, they would go on to add keenan and kel mystery files of uh shelby woo kablam uh journey of alan strange a lot of uh, angry beavers um yeah. and then you know continue on into uh later the amanda show rugrats eddie mcdowd no one knows best caitlin's way so brothers garcia so things that not as well known and then eventually spongebob would add uh to snick in 2001 so that that first night um you know what's funny my my actual gut was clarissa and then i didn't i went against my gut and i said all that and i was damn it i'm still that's gonna bother me the rest of the day that i didn't nail that so i remember being at my cousin's house and for some reason you know it was something we were all aware of like we're gonna watch these shows and there's and um so we were all sitting on the couch at my aunt and uncle's house and um, with this uh, pair of cousins I have that are similar in age as me and watched them all. And then I remember that it's not one of the episodes we're going to take a, like a deeper dive on, but the first episode was the the one with the phantom cab, mm-hmm. I believe. And um, I, f- my, I didn't actually, I wanted to go back and watch it. I didn't have time before our recording here, but I feel like my memory of it was overall kind of a meh episode except for the one moment where eight-year-old me jumped out of his skin when the kevy's head whips around mm-hmm. and he's like he's like he tells this whole story about like an accident of a driver and like what happened and he whips around and he's like i died <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh i just remember um 
just being shook as a young lad. Like, oh, like that moment got me. <laughs> like really, mm-hmm. they got me. I was like, dang it. But uh, I, I love that show. And I'm not the biggest horror fan or scary stuff fan. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy a select few, but I really liked for the, the original run. I really, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark was so good. And what's funny when we when we were looking at episodes to to talk about on this on this show, and then we picked the ones we did. Uh, you know what was great about the original run? It was pretty consistent because if you look at lists mm-hmm. of the top, you know, people rank them either as just best whatever that means or most scary, mm-hmm. which is a little more defined. It is spread out like over. It's not like heavily mm-hmm. concentrated mm-hmm. where it's like all in the first two seasons and then it falls off hard. It's pretty. It's pretty balanced as far as over the original whatever five six season mm-hmm. run or something mm-hmm. as far as where those like most popular episodes come from mm-hmm. no i i agree with you and it's it's one of those that you, especially if you could tell the later in the series they got they were pulling in some larger names um Mm-hmm. One of my one of my episodes I'm going to talk about has Ryan Gosling and uh, um, Gilbert Gottfried in it, which, you know, for 1994 was, you know, Ryan Gosling had come out of Mickey Mouse Club already and uh, Gilbert Gottfried was, you know, already massively popular in his own career as a comedian. Yeah. Um, I believe Third Rock from the Sun had already started. So, you know, it's uh, one of my other ones has one of the boys from American Pie in it. So these are people who so. Would, okay, that was my so question. they yeah. would go on to be large actors, but that was also during this time where we're seeing a boom of child actors mm-hmm. being used. Because the Disney films we're getting during this time are the like Kid and King Arthur's Court, uh, Angels in the Outfit, those kinds of things where we have yeah. a child protagonist um, do doing otherworldly things. That's why it's so interesting to have this kind of spook. And we're coming out of the eighties, which we saw a boom in horror and suspense thriller films, like huge part of the eighties. Uh, after we kind of gotten a lot of the low budget horror films of the seventies that were kind of setting up, um, and you know, the slasher film and, and that kind of thing. But this, it also across the board, for an anthology series of its time was doing really fantastic things of kind of keeping us interested in a way that like as an adult i found myself not getting bored but i also reconnected with like the my child self who was like oh okay no i remember this being a very rational fear for you know 12 13 year old me slash you know 36 year old me now with irrational fears (laughs) so yeah, and I, I'm really curious. I know. So we each we this is a fun listener. So Matt and I really hemmed and hawed and went back and forth on texts about like, well, what are we going to talk about? How many? Which ones? How do we decide? Do we do the first three? Um, do we? And then we were both looking up various lists of like best episodes ever. And there's a few that are pretty consistent, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of it, it's a the discourse is healthy out there on yeah. Are You for the Dark. It is you'll get wildly different lists. Everyone. Well, so, oh, so what my yeah. point, what we settled on was, is like, you know what? There's a lot, these are very subjective. All mm-hmm. art is subjective, mm-hmm. you know, but that mm-hmm. this seems to be especially subjective. Everyone takes different mm-hmm. things and different. So we we're like, what are some, when you think, are you afraid of the dark mm-hmm. for each of us that like first thing that pops into your head, first episodes that really stuck with you for whatever reason that might be, it was particularly, and that's what I'm really curious to talk about is I'll share like mine. And I want to hear about, I want to hear from you, mm-hmm. the two you picked why those two and then we'll talk a little bit mm-hmm. yeah, 
like why so which one do you want to start with um i think i'm gonna go with station 109.1 okay. um featuring baby goss featuring baby ryan gosling who looks exactly the same <laughs> um with his little notebook smirk which he was like you could tell he was like getting it correct during like he was like building his brand as like a baby heartthrob yeah. at this point um so i like a lot so we were we were the the hashtag the poor when i was growing up and being conservative my parents didn't want to have cable because that was the time that playboy was becoming available and like cinemax and those kind of things were mm. available on thing and they didn't want me to see pornography on 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 our television it was a fine upstanding christian family um and so the only time I got with Nickelodeon would be at my grandmother's house. Um, but my parents still had very big opinions. So I always saw this advertised. The kids would talk about it on Monday at school. Um, but I never got to participate. So for me, my Are You Afraid of the Dark upbringing came just a little bit later than everybody else's. Um, you know, there were the occasional sleepover where we would watch them. And this was one of the ones that I remember from like a church, not a church sleepover, but, but kids from church at a birthday party. Um, just because I was a child with more irrational fears than other children. Um, this one kind of like shook me to the core. I was, was always afraid of my mortality as a child. I was always a little weird. Uh, and so this one was one uh, that also it's, I found that I'm drawn to the ones that are about the movies, the, the television, the radio, mm -hmm. something where a media form is going to impact. So actually both of mine, one is, one is about the camera. One is about the <laughs> radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one is interesting because I also think it's, uh, recently as like an adult, I've, I've been toying with this idea of writing a podcast script about this idea of a radio channel that you it's hard to find if you're looking for it, you're never going to find it. But on those nights where you're not looking for it and you seem lost, the radio station will find you. And I was like, where is this idea coming from? And mm -hmm. then rewatching it, I went, Oh my God, it's, it's been sitting here. And so for me, it's a lot of this idea of like having control, like how can, do we die as kids without, you know, uh, before it's our time and things. And so this one stuck out at me and it's not, particularly scary in ways like there aren't like the jump they're not the jump scares in this which watching through a bunch of the other episodes just for kind of shits and giggles i was um i was surprised at how many times they pulled really successful like horror moments out um yeah that got past a 90 sensor which honestly if we're talking about 90 sensors uh, there's man i mean because this is also when Kindred the Embraced was on TV, which is the Vampire the Masquerade television show. Mm -hmm. Like, this is right before Buffy and Charmed. And so it's, we're seeing a lot of more kind of horror bent thriller monster, the yeah. kind of monster of the week. Um, I'm yeah, stunned to your point. And it's not one of those we're talking about, but it was one of those ones that was pretty much always on those top mm -hmm. tens. Uh, Dead Man's Float. Yes. I am stunned that they let that go that is mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. beautifully horrifying monster mm -hmm. design the mm -hmm. dead man's float mm -hmm. monster the red decayed skeleton zombie thing in the water like holy shit like that is i was like hey bravo that is 
terrifying and i'm mm-hmm. so surprised you that that got the okay for this children's programming because mm-hmm. it's really scary um so 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 being so 109 just in case anyone hasn't watched it the like 30 second probably like plot, i know i'm a writer yeah. right so the narrative yeah, do it, do it, do is there's there's two brothers you got baby goss who's the big brother and his little brother um i forgot their names already but um little brother daniel is and jamie daniel and jamie and um is Daniel, Jamie's the older one. Is, is yeah, Gossip, Jamie, right? and, yeah, it's yeah. Baby Goss, yeah. So Daniel, the younger one, we quickly establish is like obsessed with death. Like he pretends like he's, he just lies down and pretends like he's a corpse and talks about people being buried alive at the dinner table. Uh, and then, is and then of course, his older brother is like, what a weirdo. And they play a prank on him because his older brother likes to fix up cars and they have this old hearse. And they like lock him in there or no, they jump it and yeah. turn it on. Yeah. They jump yeah. it while he's in and he like, and the radio turns on, but then that's suddenly when, um, the brother's messing in the front seat, the car turns off and the, you watch the dial slip across and 109.1 starts playing. Yep. And then it's, uh, just a weird, I was, I was gonna say, I had to look up. What was the name of that? It's like someone doing a James Mason impression yeah. that, like mm-hmm. of uh, like come home or something. Are you trying to find the way home, trying to find the way home. Um, and then not to like go through super, pl- but basically mm-hmm. um, he finds where the station is and it's like the waiting room to the afterlife apparently. And mm-hmm. he accidentally gets tagged as Daniel as being uh you know, dead and like his spirit's going to pass over at some point, which was really funny. Cause it's very, uh, it's this weird combination of like DMV, but it's also a radio station. And then all of a sudden you have those cl- out of nowhere, you have those very, uh, very the dementors. Yeah. Yeah. The dementors. Yeah, and then that, like that, like that very metal door mm-hmm. with all like the runes on it. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah. It's, you could tell that someone was like, you know what movie I love? Beetlejuice. Like it's they're very Beetlejuice moments yes. with comedy, which is I think it's smart having uh well and then the guy that's running this like station slash let station. I mean it's literally kind of a bus stop on the way to the to crossover. Because mm-hmm. the whole point is if your spirit doesn't automatically cross over, you're wandering around. And so you get a lot of these like well-dressed 90s old people who are just dead wandering around. And Gilbert Godfrey's the one greeting them. I don't know which one is worse being dead and being lost or having <laughs> I'll to tell you what, though. Gilbert Godfrey. I I still I I I can I enjoy uh Gilbert Godfrey as exasperated office drone. Me too. He did it. It was in one of the Beverly Hills cops. He did mm-hmm. something similar, I think maybe the second one. Um, it's just uh, just beleaguered, too busy, kind of a dick to everyone he talks to. Office. <laughs> well, and it's funny because you're led to believe. So it's one of those that if you leave an unfulfilled life, you're you have to do something, and you know to to go mm-hmm. on to the afterlife, or your afterlife's gonna be rough. And it's funny because he's like kid this can't be that bad i worked at the dmv and you're like oh so the dmv people are the worst people okay (laughs) good to know um and so they tie in a lot of really great humor um something now this set was used almost immediately after in another episode they reused this exact same set really you might as well and you know very similar feeling um but i will say something as a designer the lighting designers really did a great job through all of the episodes to capture these moments of fear in very bright spaces because mm-hmm. you could tell that like 
we're going to talk about one of yours, Ghastly Grinner. It's very bright. Every scene is very it's bright and sunny. Broad daylight. It's not at but, night at all. But yeah. they do a lot of these great moments of finding like ways to give us craggy shadows and things. Mm-hmm. And like young Daniel in the in the the radio station they found a lot of these moments where he's fully surrounded by light but he's encased in shadow and he has these really nice moments where they were able to kind of create suspense even though we all can logically tell where it's gonna go though I did love the use of a snap bracelet as the way to turn you into a ghost (laughs) Um, though as the props department that's probably a use prop of a props person was like I took this from my fucking kid because they can't have it at school they were just but, all the rage at that point. Oh, they, they were, were all the yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so this is one where I was glad we re- I revisited it. It really like it's always a question of does it hold up? I will say all of these scripts, even the best ones, are thin. They are transparent. They are you know meant for a mostly cast of teenagers with the occasional yeah. bumbling adult. I mean, they're short. The episode is twenty four minutes. That was twenty four minutes, and I don't know like a fifth of that is given over to the midnight society mm-hmm. at the beginning and the end bookending it. So it's, you literally have like 19 minutes mm-hmm. to tell a, to give, to do a narrative arc, you know? Yeah. Maybe less. And, and a narrative arc that's supposed to stick with you in ways that are kind of scary. Yeah. It's something we didn't talk about at the beginning. The, the midnight society kids, I forgot rotated out. And of course they're adding new ones. Yeah. And, you know, some leave as we go through the series, but I always, maybe it's now as an adult, I'm thinking about it. I thought it was really interesting that they make a point to always say, these are kids that would have never fit in with each other outside of the midnight society. And they would never be friends kind of publicly mm-hmm. outside of this. Um, and like the, the kind of, um, Harold Ramos looking young guy that runs the, with the glasses, like he looks just like Harold Ramos and maybe it's yeah. just cause I just saw ghostbusters afterlife, but like he's got that thing and you've got, you know, you've got the rough chick, you've got the Joe from facts of life. You've got the popular girl, you've got the yeah. rough non-white kid. Like, you know, it's, it's the thing that, but I thought it was really interesting that like, you've got this thing that kind of bonds them together, which I want to talk about at the end of kind of how we're connecting this because we're seeing such, um, a giant connection to adults, especially in our age group of true crime and like cryptids and murder mysteries and things that like is mm-hmm. like this franchise that we're all not franchise, but this like media form we're all running to is like adults because it's, I don't know whether it's a control over our world and those things, but the, I see a lot of those moments of they were trying to craft these stories that were interesting to children, but you know, the moms and dads were going to be there watching as well, especially cause this is, um, the beginning of like helicopter parents and yeah. and things so you know the parents would be watching these along with the kids in a lot of situations and so they had to dance that line of you know it's it's acceptable but it's still scary but it's not as scary as like the killer santa claus movie that came out in 1991 those you know those kinds yeah. of those kinds of things um Pat, question for you, because this wasn't one that you brought. Was there anything story-wise in this that you would have, like, tweaked or tightened or maybe changed? Oh, that's a good question. Um, they could have still made it suspenseful, but maybe... Because this one, this one's whimsical in a funny way, and at no point that I actually yeah, feel it's doom weird. at any point. Like, it's, it's very bright and sunny. 
if you want it to be more, yeah, it, it's one of those things. It's a very interesting choice to have it be Gilbert Godfrey because he's not menacing. He's just like loud and bombastic and just, ah, I can't be bothered. Sorry. Like, and I don't know, maybe the real villain is the banality of bureaucracy, yeah. <laughs> the uncaring folk. Like, because if he'd taken a minute mm-hmm. to just double check his work, he would have seen he was about to yep. send a living child to the afterlife. Um, but no, I, I'm trying to think. It was it was just interesting. It was just kind of um, it was interesting how so there's a, what what it was just the the one thing I don't know it was just weird to me was the whole difference of like you have this one aesthetic and then you have like you said the Dementors the creatures mm-hmm, in Bla- or mm-hmm. the Nazgul like from Lord of the Rings yes, was like, very much yeah yeah that just appear out of nowhere and grab people and it almost looks silly it's like you just threw cloaks over people and i think and then you have this weird gothic door i think it would have actually been more eerie if it if it'd been like office droney types that were super mm-hmm. impassive like mm-hmm. had no emotion on their faces and just like dead eyes mm-hmm. and they were wearing suits or you know and then and they carried you off that would yeah. almost be more terrifying to me mm-hmm. it was on because it, but it just because it just didn't fit the that weird yep. like the big the big gothic like sacrifice door and the the you know the dementor ghouls that <laughs> like it, yeah like uh, yeah the i i think of like to the movie black hole or not black hole uh oh yeah black hole is it black hole yeah where the um, the like hybrid eco robots all have lost their faces they've lost their personalities or mm. whatever or like that'd be terrifying yeah like faceless or, all, like people in like office clothes yeah. with, with zero face like no just blank like that yeah I mean, maybe it's just because I'm doing a, a lot of cryptid research right now for another uh, podcast project, but there is one particular, and it's based off also because I've been rewatching Buffy currently, and the episode Hush, which has the characters, the gentlemen, which are those big, smiling, mm-hmm. all-white, bald faces, are based on a cryptid called Enid Glass, and which is this like smiling man, this idea of the smiling man that's yeah, too tall, terrifying. bald, um, almost something like that of this kind of they're smiling through the afterlife because they have no other reason. And whether they mm-hmm. float or do not, I, th- I agree with you that I think if they had been like kind of amassed upon him, something else for me is I almost wish that because Jamie had played the prank on Daniel, that Daniel had to save the day and Jamie was the yeah. one that got turned into a ghost. Yes. But I wish because the for me, I think from the beginning, Daniel should have found 109.1 before the episode started. And that's what kicked off his kind of connection to he'd been listening to it. He'd and been he's listening. Just, yeah. And it's something about like it's only mm-hmm. the dead are supposed to know it. And then if it had, I thought it would have been interesting that if like Jamie, when he put the um the because i thought what was going to happen because i had forgotten was that jamie uh that it like shocked his brother when he puts the the charging cables onto the battery Mm -hmm. um also because i don't know much about cars but i'm not sure that's how you're supposed to start a like ford box hearse is with a modern jumper cable and battery um but i almost i think it would have been uh, cause like Daniel already is like a touch weird. And so the fact that like Daniel would have had to sh- save his brother who, you know, maybe Jamie's like has to leave his body, but his body is just like in a coma. And it's one of those things that like, if the spirit had been thrown into the hell pit 
before his body died, it would have made his body die. And maybe that's a little heightened for a kid's show, but I feel like I, yeah. I think Jamie being the like hot white savior, like blonde brother savior is uh kind of anticlimactic for this episode for that reason mm-hmm. um even th- because like daniel's trying to save himself and he just can't because the character uh, roy won't listen so it's one of those things that i think if they had switched those places um also it may maybe given them a reason to not have bumbling parents because they have like the useless 90s parents are in this um in like such a way that the mom is just so flabbergasted yeah. uh, also i always maybe this is just being a theater person but anytime you can tell they're using practical food effects i go oh that poor prop department yeah. also this poor that actors like, yeah. also this poor actors are having to eat probably starchy cold gross mashed potatoes the box the, the powder mashed potatoes and the, 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 the oddly too bright pink shrimp i was like yeah who eats i was like okay also that's an interesting food pairing too because they had mashed potatoes that looked like, like a ham steak yeah and like had carrots ham- and then well, shrimp cocktail well, and, like, yeah it was like uh and then i went well i guess we're coming out of that time where uh, a mom would have put down like a shrimp cocktail with dinner that would have been something they would have done but it still seems very bougie um <laughs> but but again i still i and it's interesting because this is in uh their final season of the original run which is season five um episode three now pat something that i found interesting looking through not every episode is on paramount plus and i can't figure out why some of them are still on the nickelodeon only viacom add-on um and they haven't transitioned in but like also uh, the 1999 and the 2000 series those two seasons are not available anywhere for free and so i was surprised um also Hmm. that like looking through a lot of the other episode descriptions i remembered ones that we were not going to be able to watch and so that was interesting to kind of look through and go oh well i remember this one oh okay great we have access to this one as well and i'm wondering why with like streaming rights they lawyers yeah i'm i'm assuming well and then it made me and i love that it's this episode you can tell had to probably do something with um uh like uh streaming rights this one says featuring ryan gosling in the title on paramount plus so i bet he's getting some sort of crazy residual for this episode Mm -hmm. um but i don't know this one it it was kind of hokey it it made me smile it was funny um it ends with i mean also they still got in the 90s fart burp joke where like the afterlife the afterlife literally farts him back out because he's not alive and it sounds like a big ethereal fart uh so you know (laughs) i you know i think it's i think it's good natured i definitely think this is a fun one to revisit i'm not shocked that i didn't see this one on a lot of lists though because while it was entertaining i didn't think it was that super strong of an episode but for me it was one that stood out in my memory Mm -hmm. yeah so let's bump over to one of yours which one of yours do you want to want to chat about Let's do the first one that came to mind. That so was like, yeah. this is the one. I was like, yeah. this is like, yeah, it's like got to. It, Which also get- seems it seems very appropriate for honestly both of us for the network. Yeah. Those kinds of things, yeah. Yeah, the tale of the ghastly grinner. Yes. Um, that one always. Took, I was legitimately terrified of that. Up, I was like fascinated and terrified of that episode as a kid. It 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 was just funny how much I didn't 
wasn't scared this time around. It was like yeah. silly, but definitely scaring stuff for those. Again, let's do uh, I can do a 30 second synopsis. You got your our main character, Ethan, who is again what you know, nineties image of a of a kid who's into comics. Yep. Is and he we open on him getting a bunch of rejections from publishers and uh at he's got a 13, ridiculous setup he's, 13, he's got like yeah. a he's got like a ridiculous professional setup that was like that had to cost thousands and thousands of dollars his like art table and all this stuff but uh so he's frustrated and he gets something in the mail it's like an invitation to this new comic stop shop and he goes he's the only one there i loved <laughs> the proprietor of the shop character um what <laughs> She's great. Uh, what was her name? I got to find that. I got to double check that. But I love, did you notice that she calls someone? It's just funny because words mean different things at different times. Yep. She used to call, says Zoomers, but she's yep. talking about like old people. She's talking, yep. she's like, those are like out of touch people. Yep. <laughs> calls them Zoomers. And then why don't we call people? I don't know that we ever did. Did anyone ever, was it? Was was cakes ever a uh, an actual thing people call each other? I don't think so. But the, <laughs> cakes, you know, it's it's also that thing of like in the nineties, they they would use these kind of ridiculous nomenclatures for each other. Well, it's like for me, anytime mm-hmm. in a TV show, movie, or book, someone goes, "Yo, sis, what's up?" about my uh, to your sister or your brother, and I go, "Nobody ever actually says that." Please stop. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's those. <laughs> it's you know, it's those moments of, but it felt like such a heightened weird version of like it's like if if a comic book disaster movie happened to the cast of um uh the cast of empire records was kind of what this felt like and i was kind of completely on like i was completely on board for it Um, frankie her name's frankie by the way well also because she's so one you don't expect in the 90s to see this like badass young looking undercutted blonde woman running a comic book shop mm-hmm. featuring cutouts of Rob Liefeld art but i mean also it is the 90s so Rob Liefeld art is everywhere uh but yeah it's it's all of there it's one of those where they could have gone specific routes with this and they didn't and that is something i appreciated because i didn't i remembered the ghastly grinner character but I did not remember anything about this. Mm-hmm. Um, though my question is, the ghastly grinner feels an awful like killing joke Joker. It's yeah. So I, I feel like it's she, a direct like love letter to it. It's not even yeah. It's oh, it's, it's 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 Joker with a different page. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Um. So so yeah. So Ethan meets Frankie and he shows her the invite and I don't that's never explained it's one of those oh it's you the destiny it's like willy wonka golden ticket like it found its way to you show me your stuff and she's like you're an amazing artist and Mm -hmm. that's what she said those zoomers at the publishing companies wouldn't know good from uncas and apparently i just like this this whole conceit of ethan who's a who's we assume a huge comics fan has never heard of this guy this sylvester uncas who who is uh apparently like the greatest comic book artist creator mm-hmm. of all time mm-hmm. that no one's ever heard of and um like he's immediately on board with that like yeah he like he's never heard of him before this one person he's like you know what you're right you're on i'm immediately on board with he he is yep. the michael jordan of comic book <laughs> artists and then she gives him an issue the ghastly grinner mm-hmm. and basically saying like 
he made a comic that was like too real. It was so intense. He actually tapped into another like plane of existence where this was real. He found the multiverse. Yeah. Uh, and then of course the ghastly gritter comes into our world and wreaks havoc. Um, and Ethan and the uh, just, I love, I, I love, she, I love the choices she made that the actress who did Hooper. Uh-huh. Hooper uh, yeah. She's great. Uh, you know, Hooper, Hooper Piccolo, Piccolero. I, I sit, I sit next to you and <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you sit next to me in science. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I just, the thing that always stuck with me is as a kid, the ghastly gritter scared you. Cause basically it's like take joke. It's a joker face, but in like a, you know, a court jester mm-hmm. outfit and his thing is he makes people go mad with laughter so much so they're like giggling, babbling idiots. And what's really was unsettling as a kid is the people he gets. It's like their eyes get very like sunken and, and yeah. like with black circles. And then they start giggling. And then it's like blue ooze like seeps mm-hmm. out of their mouth. And that was mm-hmm. very unsettling when his, his parents, it happens to he gets his, gets his parents. Um, the one part that still to this day, I was like, you know what? That's still actually really unsettling is the bus scene where the, the bus drive- bus fucked me up i was yeah. sitting here going oh like that it like i wasn't shocked that like the bus driver was ooey gooey but then like when the head spun around head spin, and head spin crazy, always get you head spin always like, get you oh like it wasn't as scary but it was i was legitimately unsettled yeah. i was uncomfortable i was wigging out and so i was like oh okay they're doing a good it, job here and the like there were like three beats in that sequence that were like this is unsettling the head spin to reveal mm-hmm. that the bus driver's been he he got grinned he got he got grinned he got green and then he takes off and he's like he's laughing and there's like a shot from like outside and he's like doing this like happy energetic like bounce up and down on the mm-hmm. seat as he's like driving them to their death like trying to like crash the bus and kill them it's just this weird mm-hmm. it's it's like that 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 um that clash of like, this is a horrific thing and you're going to kill us. But you like had this big, you're like happy about it. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's the same juxtaposition of like someone playing a <coughs> bubbly, silly song as they torture somebody. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's that type of thing. And then of course, when the bus does crash and they get off, there's that lingering shot of him like bent over at, like at a weird mm-hmm. angle with like stuff dripping out of his mouth. And he's kind of like twitching and still giggling slightly. It's like, that is that's uh-huh un- and you're settling. like is he yeah. dead and like yeah. the, the the goo is just keeping him alive what's happening mm-hmm. i mean and then you know the the shitty teacher got got his own and got fucked and i was like good for good for you um but yeah i know this one it was i enjoyed kind of every beat of this um also because like that idea though i love like as an artist is kind of a comic thing that like the way to win it in the end was like to take the eraser to a comic book character like it was one of yeah. those it was just like well they had to seems, get him back in first yeah, yeah. they <laughs> had to get him back in. and it was one of those things that was like oh shit that's such a great way to be like okay we got to make sure we can get ethan out but we also yeah also i can we talk about the art style of the comic i was just like okay ethan i get it and you're going to be very popular in about three years when you meet a man named todd mcfarlane but um yeah. Uh, I get why everybody's kind of turning you down right now, bud. But like, I also love that he kept his like stringy, gross '90s hair in his yeah. giant. Yeah, he just made himself his, the hero. Yeah, yeah. He also I, saves the day by finishing the comic book that Sylvester Unka started. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, that sequence though killed me because it's like the Grinners on their heels the whole time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they have enough time for him to finish. Guys, 
I have, I am, I have a, I have a friend who is a professional comic book artist. Um, it takes a lot of time and work to write, like do a page of a fully yeah. colored stenciled ink to comic book. Thing. Though I will say what they did do, which was interesting is every, you know, every once in a while we would like get a shot of like a window and the blue would be dripping down the window or the, the, mm-hmm. the sticky would be added somewhere. So you could tell he's there, but it's almost like he's watching them and he was letting them finish to be like, Oh, okay. You don't have the power over me. Um, mm-hmm. But it is funny that she was like, look at this unfinished comic book page. And it's literally like hard press board uh, frames that are this big. And I went, that's not how we do comic books. But okay, girl. All right. I'm not mad. Because it's also TV. You want to have something large to fill yeah. the screen. Um, and you know, I, I appreciated from a design aspect, they heightened everyone's look in a way like the parents are so exaggerated looking. The parents are and, great. This is and, the, yeah. and and you know even a Frankie is so like everything is almost a little too big. Ethan looks a little too greasy and a little too like his clothes are yeah. a little too big. Hooper's a little too nerdy with the like 1960s glasses. Ethan's parents are from Jersey, but he's not apparently. I. <laughs> I, well, part of me is like, they're the Jerseyites that moved to California in the late eighties, yeah. but they're both unemployed. Um, it, uh, it's funny in these shows, they do it in both of my episodes. It's like, they use like a Jer- like an East coast, Northeast coast, Jersey, New York yeah. accent, um, as like shorthand for like jerk off like a not a cool per- yeah. like because they do it in the other one i picked too i didn't realize that yeah, this like, is I'm where like, we are here we yeah. go <laughs> we are total pieces of shit because we're from central jersey um, it's, um but then and then at the end of course solidifying that they kind of suck as parents is yep. they it, so I, I love i love the whole like it's one of those things, like step one do this thing step two question mark step three profit because it's somehow he he defeats the day he saves the day he brings back Sylvester Uncas from comic realm with him and then cut to he's a successful comic book artist making a comic book that's just his like he's at his head with his long yep. greasy hair on a Superman yep. body <laughs> it's just called Ethan he doesn't have a superhero name it's just Ethan um, he's doing a signing and I do like the whole with Hooper again Hooper Piccolero she's great if you remember her she sits across from him in the science class um, I know you sit across from me in science class Hooper <laughs> but I love that they basically had her she keeps her whole aesthetic with glasses and like pigtails and nerdy sweater, but it's all just black now. Yeah. It's like, with and sunglasses. She's, yeah. And she's like his 12 year old manager. Like, yeah. <laughs> but like if they had turned this into a feature, I wouldn't have been mad about it. Or like if we had gotten a, cause I know several times in the nineties, they were looking at doing feature length, like mm-hmm. once a year, a feature length and like a return to the ghastly grinner would have been, I would have watched an hour story, hour and a half story yeah. about this character and Ethan and, you know, one of those things. I, it, if they had been able to employ the rest of the kids in it, I thought it would have been a great, you know, a great thing. I thought this was a really enjoyable episode. Man, imagine like a big shot with like a crowd that he's gotten. And that's like a, a, just an entire crowd of people giggling and drooling the blue goo. Well, and you know, what's funny is, you know, Case and I love Power Rangers and this made me think of like an even more successful version of Ivan Ooze from the first Power Rangers film. Mm -hmm. Cause like the whole idea that the, he had the slime. Cause I mean, again, remember everybody slime was the slime was the, it was the shit. Like 
Yeah. Slime was the moment. Gak was the moment. Flom was the moment. Um, Flom. Flom. Like, uh, now that slime, you know, that there's like slime tutorials and everybody loves slime now. And I was like, don't tell me about the original text, which I was there when it was written. <laughs> like, like, every, yeah. like, I understand why adults are into slime now because I was like, listen, Nickelodeon, everybody wanted that orange slime or you wanted that green slime. Yeah. You wanted to be I mean, that slimed. was like a thing, like a celebrity. Yeah. It was like a thing if you're like i'm cool kids i let nickelodeon slime me i got exactly exactly so working i mean it made sense that they worked it in but it was really that blue was gross and unsettling and the combination of Mm -hmm. that blue and gold while you know well coming from people's mouths too yeah well and the fact that because blue and orange are complementary and so blue and yellow being next to each other are so unsettling to see them kind of together. Like you want a blue and gold or a blue and orange, but that blue and yellow is so unsettling um, that with the dark blue goo, I his design I think is really great. Even as like mm-hmm. a paint by numbers Joker, I like him better than it's, almost yeah. any Joker I've seen. Like it's just one of those things that like, I enjoy it immensely because it also pulled in a lot of the camp of like sixties Batman, which again, one of my favorite things. Yeah. I like what they did with his voice too. It was like kind of like a, a synth to it. Mm-hmm. A little bit of like a little auto tuny mm-hmm. going on there. Just, uh, he's yeah. a good villain. Yeah, it's, it's scary. It, it scared the shit out of me as a kid. That's why it stuck with me. I was like, I, I was legitimately terrified. Of, Honestly. Yeah. Honestly, if we get one more of the new Are You Afraid of the Dark movies, I would love it if he made an appearance or mm-hmm. if we got I what I would love. I'll save this for the end. Um, remind me to go back. Uh, okay, I'll save it you. for the end. Um, uh, but yeah, I I I'm so glad you brought this one because I will say this one was one of the few episodes that showed up on every single list almost like showed Mm -hmm. up on almost every single list. Um, and I totally get why. And it's super scary. I think like for a kid watching this at like 9 PM and then going to bed, it's super scary. So I think Brava, I definitely think this is one. If someone wants to revisit or watch, are you afraid of the dark for the first time? I think this is one of the the, uh, good episodes to watch. Yeah. You should check it out. Cakes. Cakes. Start calling people. <laughs> you know, there. It's one of those moments where, like, I would have loved it if Frankie was a character that kind of could kept showing back up. Because, um, in oh, your, like a doc, a Doctor Vink, like a Doctor Vink, like because, a positive Doctor Vink. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I would have loved to start oh, seeing great. them build this idea that, like, maybe it's not out of the realm of possibility that these people are real and are have mm-hmm. influenced these kids' lives in some way, shape or form. Cause you know, as kids, we write or we tell stories based off what we've heard or what we know. And so, I mean, that's the whole thing about like even mean girls, that aspect of you, the burn book, everyone was obsessed with it because they were people that you knew. Mm-hmm. But even if you weren't, you were obsessed with it because they were people that you knew that you knew were like the people you know so you know it's that that thing of all of these stories still have the connection to something in every kid's life they would find a moment where they go oh that's so much like mine that it just it hits yeah perfect well any right. any, any last words about ghastly grinner <laughs> just in case you forgot uh cooper piccolero sits across from ethan <laughs> In, in science, science class. class um also i love how much they lean into how useless we thought teachers were in the 90s uh yeah. and oh something i will also say pat that really 
shocked me because fan ratings are notoriously hard. Like fans are notoriously hard on things, even mm-hmm. in nostalgia. There is like not a single episode of this series on IMDb that has less than like an eight out of 10 score, which I think is really interesting. And, and critically, yeah. when you go and look at it, like, cause TV doesn't get reviewed in the same way, but like it was looked very fondly upon, even as like something just for kids, it was, it was very, it's, and I just found that interesting just because of how awful people can be off, off the time towards, towards things. And so I would have thought people would have gone back and gone, oh, wow, this is bullshit. I don't, this is stupid, but I'm glad that people are still kind of looking at it with those rose tinted glasses. Cause let's be honest, the performances are not always great, but like, that's kind of what makes it better. Cause let's, I, even in the best horror movies, not all the performances are good. So yeah. Um, and I have to preface this for everybody that like, I never did spooky, spooky things before this last couple of years. And I've been diving into like horror and suspense. Cause I was like, well, I guess nothing is scarier than the world we've been living in, in like a post Trump era and like working at universal. One of our biggest things we do is Halloween horror night. So it's like, if I'm going to work literally around big, people being gutted for two and a half months of the year, I guess I got to get my, my sensitivity up and down. And so a part of me wishes I'd been able to watch the show a little bit more as a kid. Cause mm-hmm. I think I would have like, um, kind of processed myself in a little bit different way though. W- what's in our next episode. So the next episode I want to do is from episode or season three. Um, it's episode nine It's called the tale of the curious camera and stars from American pie, Eddie K Thomas. I didn't think it was him to begin with, but then I, I looked it up and went, Oh no, no, that's definitely him. Um, that's really, if you watch through this, this, the show is a who's who of like, Anybody like Joanna Garcia Swisher from Reba is one of the, mm-hmm. the midnight society kids. Um, it's nice to see a lot of the, the, the younger actors from the show have like adult he- headshots and are working well, Amos who voiced Ethan and or played Ethan in the last episode has a huge career. He was um arnold and magic school bus uh, he's a huge voice actor and he had a very okay. recognizable he had a very like 90s recognizable face and he um i mean uh nickelodeon loved him because he was in goosebumps which i don't think was on nickelodeon but he was also on like um oh he did tales of the crypt uh he was i mean he did the, another he did another one of the the like Nickelodeon kids shows as well. Um, but like, it's nice to see that like still working, like still, still doing the things. He's a voice actor mainly now and was on the new, new uh, magical bus as well. Um, but th- I always find that like fun and interesting to see. Um, but and so in this one, which is the tale of the curious camera, um, the nerd, I think his name is Matt, uh, which hit very close to home, um, (laughs) goes for school picture day, which is for most people was a torturous, awful day. Or so we're told to believe um, from because like I can't remember a 90s or 2000 show that wasn't that didn't have an episode about like a school picture day. and yeah. you know bullies are bullies the the athletes get him covered in ketchup and the the sleazy uh camera uh photographer uh for picture day seems to take pity on him and um 
But when Matt gets his pictures back, there's no one sitting in his seat. And so he goes to seek out the photographer where he is given this antique camera, um, which is kind of, I, I tried to look up that like model if it was real. It was a, a camera that was made, but it was wildly unsuccessful in how it worked. Uh, so we're, we're talking like 1920s Polaroid style kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, uh, sorry, you were going to say something about the camera. Oh, I just like, he's kind of a, Calhoun is actually, he's like the villain, I think. He's a kind of a he shithead. Is, he absolutely he, is. He, he acts like he's doing the kid a favor. Like, I'll give you a camera. Like, also, I like how he just agrees. Like, like he's upset. My mom paid for pictures, like pictures, but she's, but I come home with this old piece, this old camera, and she's going to be happy. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and so we, we realize that the camera, uh, takes pictures of things, but then something bad happens to whatever it's taken a picture of. Um, and they're trying to figure it out. And there's this little icon in the background of the pictures. If you look closely, find mm-hmm. out there's a gremlin trapped in the camera. Uh, the gremlin jumps around into new technology. And then seemingly they, win the day by making the in a camp it gets put in a camcorder and then it photographs itself it's a long story um but it's yeah. but it's not a long story it's a very unclear story uh, it's really it's i forget it's crazy i know we talked about earlier how fast these episodes have to be but uh-huh. how much it jumps into immediately yes he gets the camera and it's immediately starts going off on its own i thought to be a little bit more of a slow build but immediately yeah. starts going off on its own taking pictures left and right of things and he picks up right away like oh this can cause bad stuff to happen mm-hmm. and i think it takes a picture too which it's not a bad thing you know because we all want the 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 shitty we want the shitty bully to have bad things happen you know to have to him but then it's like oh no it took a picture of mom and dad whatever's gonna happen oh no mm-hmm. oh no and you know so it's it's him and uh amy the 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 other girl in the the episode with him and uh but we find out that calhoun purposely gave him the camera because calhoun had been cursed with the camera so i, I kind of like that scene where he goes back to him and all, he's instantly uh a jet setting like the, the high fucking, fashion photographer the, yeah the flip phone with the like uh kimono jacket but it's the, like the like, big shoulders overcoat yep, uh-huh, and the scarf uh-huh, like uh-huh, uh-huh. and of course he's off to he's got a flight to milan to catch of <laughs> course of course of course of course uh and you know so eddie has or uh, not eddie matt has to set up and they set up with a camcorder and then the gremlin jumps at the camcorder um but then they're able to you know save the day or do they this one does what a lot of the episodes does which is what goosebumps did as well which was you think they've won but then in that Mm -hmm. last millisecond you're like oh no it's gonna come back and i will say the little icon of the gremlin though we never this is i think a really kind of fun storytelling where you end up seeing this like sticker uh, like stamp yeah. icon of what the gremlin is supposed to be but we don't ever actually see it because it is this like kind of metaphysical thing that can go between mm-hmm. technology and it's almost a stronger choice in a monster movie to never show us the monster because it was like in stranger things until we saw the demogorgon it was crazy and so it was like the fact that in like the third season we saw the mind flare so early it was like yeah. oh okay but in this you know and again, in 24 minutes, they've got to figure out how to, to solve this. But I always thought it was, uh, again, things that are bonded to technology. Cause there was another, um, 
camera episode from the first season that I was thinking about doing, which take which took people's souls if they were photographed. And so I remember that, that one, episode, that one yeah. was the only that was the other one that I was thinking about, but it had a really creepy kid lead in it, which always he makes me very uncomfortable. Um, and so I chose this one because I thought it was that interesting piece of like the the MacGuffin, but it's the haunted MacGuffin that you actually need to get rid of or destroy. And so mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's one of those things that I thought, I thought this was really fun. It's a very high stakes, low stakes kind of situation um, where it was low stakes until the camera took a picture of his parents. And then they were yeah. like, how do we, how do we save this? And how do we use the camera to counteract it? And so I thought it was interesting. The performances were fine. I thought the script was fine. Um, I didn't really have any big changes for this, though. This is another one that I was like, oh, because, you know, not to spoil, it gets in their computer at the end, which I went, that's a big jump. But I guess if it's the only other bit of technology in the room, that's where it's going to go. I mean, we're talking 1992. It's going to have a long time. It's going to have to just hibernate and chill before it gets a computer model with uh, for the Internet where it could go to and then get to a computer that's got a camera Mm -hmm. built in or something Mm because it's not going to be able to do much. Mm -hmm. I I imagine its powers. It it needs some kind of light capturing. Yes. and uh, that 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 92 or 93 model mm. uh home whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> does, definitely does not macintosh does definitely does not have a camera of any kind no. so that made me go what happens when eddie uh has to upload a school project to a giant floppy you know eight giant floppy disks and take it to school and mm-hmm. then the gremlin takes over their entire school and we see the those very first smart boards and all those things of like the the technology that we went my school doesn't have that and then you're like never mind my school doesn't need to have that technology um but you know this was another one where i went oh i would i would watch another 24 minutes of seeing what else this gremlin did or whatever but um you know you could tell they were physically watching because unlike goosebumps they didn't necessarily have source material with this unless they you know pre-internet so you can't just go google urban legends um you know, so it was one of those where it was like, I'm sure these writers rooms were really kind of crazy of being like, okay, what do we write about? Oh, I remember this story a kid told as when I was younger, how do we modernize it? How do we update it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of those things in this where, you know, a lot of these episodes jump through time. Like this one's oddly very 1993. Oh, it would have been 93, I guess, or 95 season three it would have been 95. So like, you know, uh, it, it would have been very pertinent to have something that jumps through technology suddenly scare people because that's when everybody was still scared of technology. Um, what were your, what were your some of your thoughts on this episode, Pat? Um, I liked the uh, party. <laughs> I liked it. I like the whole. I like the ones where it's like kind of like bullied kid. They get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. an instrument to maybe help them turn the tables on the bullies, but it goes to kind of monkey's paw situation. Yep. It goes too far. Um, you mentioned goosebumps. I remember a goose, but there's one, it was like a very much a monkey's paw, like kind of be careful what you wish for. Where like mm-hmm. uh, the bullied girl wished she was the best basketball player on her team. And instead of her getting better, everyone else on the team got like sick and got yep. really bad. And it's like, ah, uh, so, and like, Oh no, what have I done? It's gone too far. We got to stop it. You can't get rid of it. Part of me is like, why can't you just throw like a sheet over it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, or do what Calhoun did. He put it in a lockbox and like, lock yep. this. It, it's, it's power. Okay. I do have a little bit of issue with it of the whole, okay. You have this gremlin. This is being, 
that says in a physical form that inhabits, possesses this like technology, right? And it can jump. From, and, and the reason it was able to jump to the camcorder, if you remember, is because they did the whole, it took a picture of itself in a mirror yep. and it caught the camcorder mm-hmm. in the picture. Mm-hmm. So that's how I was able to do that. Um, but the whole, I guess it's just, it is what it is. But the fact that they can like smash the camera and then it reassembles itself and it, it can transport itself to another location yeah. Mm-hmm. is, yeah. That's one of those things where I go, okay, that's a little that's a little much and also because it doesn't i it needs to have a little it needs to have some sort of parameters to it i'm guessing and but they just kind of keep opening um it is interesting you say monkey's paw because they you know that was one of the original inspirations for the show were you know uh like national Enquirer, haunted houses magical curses those kinds of things um and so they would usually want their original idea was things that could be filmed in the woods, filmed in mm-hmm. abandoned houses, those kinds of things. Um, so was there anything about this this plot that you would have tweaked at all? Um, no, I mean, I like that. I, I kind of like the whole progression because you can't like, uh, you know, you got to do the thing of like, we have a reason we have a we have a method that we think is going to kill it. And it seems like it did work but it can't just automatically work. Right. And then they right. have the more, the more frantic finale with the camcorder. Um, yeah. oh, what would, I don't know. Uh, I think it would have been interesting if our main character had gotten a little more dark with it before he came back to the light. Yeah, like taking, like mm-hmm. maybe he took a picture. What if he, like, I'm surprised he didn't take a picture of Calhoun. Like you motherfucker. Like yeah. you did this to me. Here you go. How about this? Like <laughs> make his plane to Milan yep. crash. Like, yep. Um, but then he's a murderer and that's kind of heavy <laughs> that is a little heavy for us to, to that's a lot to bring in 24 minutes our, our lead back from yeah but that is somewhere he could go with that little gremlin on the computer so I you know I don't know but I'd forgotten how that one ended because it was one of those ones I was going to say like is it is this one where we have to stop it or is it one where it like ends with him like mm-hmm. leaning into with a power isn't there one out there where someone has the ability to like make people disappear or something bad happen yes. and it kind of le- it kind of ends with like their sibling bothering them and they get like this like wry smile and like oh you're mm-hmm. going to be a little shit yep. that's how this is ending like you're going you're, you're going to be full- the evil one yeah, yeah. Be the one we need to stop yeah yeah i i yeah definitely um uh, i was glad we revisited this one again i wasn't sure why this one kind of stuck out to me in the way that it did but it it did and it showed up on like two of them two of the lists but they were like where are they now more of list of like oh look at these adult celebrities now that started on are you afraid of the dark kind of mm-hmm. a kind of show so um now the next one you brought i absolutely loved i watched twice this morning because i enjoyed it yeah. so much i mean this is another one that utterly terrified me as a child mm-hmm. and I, I feel like it ticks the boxes it's one that really stuck with me because it really terrified me as a, as a kid it's one of my like, it was as a child it's probably one of my worst fears but also we couldn't do this this episode of the sh- of your show maddie without and talk about not talk about a dr vink episode it's true I it's mean, absolutely true this is a good dr vink episode he's this great is a good dr. Dr. Vink vink. Episode. so we did this is a uh, midnight madness and it is about uh two youths two teenage youths who are working at this like very vintage style movie theater uh, you got Pete and Katie, which I'm curious. Uh, the actress who played Katie, this is her only 
thing. Her own credit. I know. Credit, it's, uh, it's which so was strange interesting. to me. Yeah. Thought she was good. She's fine. Yeah. She's definitely not the worst acting that has been on our this show. That's um, very true. But so basically, it's 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 Pete and Katie, these two teenagers, and then the as I alluded to before, the uh, Mr. Kristoff the manager who again is putting on a very, he's doing his best Tony Soprano, mm-hmm. uh, even though this is before, but uh, as shorthand for like, this guy is kind of shady, which it's kind of sucks. Cause I'm sure there are a lot of mm-hmm. incredibly lovely, delightful people with very thick East it's coast accents. Um, and uh, he, so it's struggling and you got Pete who's kind of like the, the true believer, right? Like he loves the movies and he loves the classic cinema. And you got Katie, who's just like, this is a job. And then you got the manager and apparently there's some elusive owners that own the place. And um, they're worried they're going to shut it down. And then of course, enter the wonderful Dr. Vink Mm -hmm. who promises to save the theater, just show his films. And then, you know, here's one film, show it. If it doesn't turn things around, Whatever. If it does, yeah. he wants one night a week to show his own films to an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a uh, it's it's Nosferatu, basically. Essentially, it's called that. Mm-hmm. Even and, you know the classic man. That design is so terrifying. The Nosferatu. Yep. It's yeah, and uh, it draws in crowds. People come to see the old creepy silent film again and again and again, and they're making money hand over fist and. What kills me in that episode is when Vink comes back to like claim and the, it's so weird to be the manager's like, I'll pay you, but I'm not giving you one night a week to show your films. It's like, wouldn't you still make money off that bro? Cause people could yeah. buy tickets to that. And Absolutely. It, it, it doesn't make sense that he would be like, yeah, no, I'm happy to, cause the manager is very money focused. Like I won't make money, but he's really willing to pay the guy a mm-hmm. cut. Mm-hmm. but not willing to give up fucking give the guy Tuesday nights. I don't know. You know what I mean, like, yeah, it's very unusual. Um, but also kind of what I expect from like the scummy, yeah. the, the scummy guy. And so, um, yeah. and then that whole, we'll talk, but, and then we don't see him do it, but it's implied. He does something to make it happen. Essentially that night when they're locking up, the doors are all locked and the Nosferatu comes. Worst fear for childhood, Pat. The vampire comes out of the movie screen yes, and you're trapped the in the theater yep. and you're trapped in the old theater. And it's like a little chase around, you know, a slow chase where you're locking doors, but he's using his vampire telepathy to unlock them and keep coming slowly coming after you with those really like his teeth freak me out because they look so gnarly and they don't actually look that sharp. I'm like, that would hurt so bad. Like as opposed to like clean cut fangs, uh, it's just really, you know, one of those, again, very terrifying of, I don't want trapped in a room and he's, he's like looming over you and coming closer. Absolutely. Cause he's taller. He's bigger than everybody. He's so pale. I thought they did a gorgeous job of, like it looks like Nosferatu, but anything that they could have been legally held responsible for of like copying a Nosferatu design, they have changed just a little bit. Like the mm-hmm. teeth are a little different, but he was so terrifying because he just doesn't stop. 
Yes. Because, and that was the whole thing about that kind of vampire as well, because the Nosferatu is like the original, the first. And so it's that idea that like the only thing they can get him is like a steak or sunlight mm-hmm. and those things. And so the fact that you got these two teenagers who are trying to like save the day versus like the daddy of all evil, like, you know, it's just one of those things. It was so great. I think really succinct storytelling because they, you know, they keep filling us in, but they're not wasting time. Um, the, the background characters are great. That one old lady that just seems to come hang out, even though she hates the place. Yeah. Like I love, like just, I loved it. And she's in every shot when they needed a group. And I just think this one was top notch, top to bottom, just a really fantastic episode. Yeah. And then love the ending. Cause, uh, they, you know, they, of course they save the day. They, uh, Pete has to jump into the movie and, and Nosferatu follows after him and he gets the sunlight on him and uh, then he gets out and the Mr. Kristoff is magically, he, oh yeah, they, there's the whole, they stumble across Mr. Kristoff who has been vampired. In, yep. He's been yeah, vampired. He's, he's, been he's got the, the two holes in his neck, but he's apparently okay. It's, it's one of those, oh man, I had a crazy dream. Um, and then Vink reappears and is just he is just having so much fun. The actor, and that just, actor he's, he's, he's so it, over the top. He's such yeah. a great character actor. Though what I will say is, um, he keeps the the manager keeps itching his neck, and they never show us his neck when he comes mm-hmm. back down. And so the whole idea that Vink buys the theater at the end makes me wonder well what if that manager becomes turn. a vampire and then is like vinks a ghoulish assistant why are there what jersey 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 vampire jersey vampire hey i'm hey. sucking bloody hey yeah, what's like? yeah we need you to get juice first what is this a positive you know i'm no negative hey the fuck out of here with your a positive I'm I'm a positive. I'm gonna bite your fucking neck. No, I don't eat no fucking vegan blood. Only full meat. I want your blood to be like gabagool. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of how, like say gabagool, but talk about like a clot, like it's a clot, like a clot. I love a good clot gool. Oh, that's so <laughs> stupid. I love that. It's minestrone, but the whole inside of tomato base is just blood based, yeah. like bits of kidney and bone in it instead of. Oh, oh, sorry for any weak, weak stomachs out there, but this was, <laughs> and it's really interesting. This is another one where I was like, I would like to see where this story keeps going. There are a few of these where like, I kept watching around, you know, just cause there are probably about 50 of the episodes of the hundred available on mm-hmm. Paramount plus. And I kept watching around and you know, a lot of times they go, okay, that's cute. That was fine. This one was one where I was like, I want to see more. I want to see the baby. Yeah. Um, but Vink. Uh, it's odd. He's one of the only characters that we see shows up again and whether he's Vink each time or what, but Vink keeps changing his story, obviously kind of a timeless character who exists outside of the idea of our space and time and realms and those kinds of things. But um, I think he's always Dr. Vink. He's always Dr. Vink. He shows up in five episodes between season one and season four, but does not show up in season five. Um, so it's also the Phantom Cab, which is the first episode. 
uh, the dangerous soup and then the cutter's treasure part one and two, where he plays the same character each time, which I do think Mm -hmm. is interesting. And I think probably something where they were toying with this idea of how do we keep someone coming back. But then I think it's when you're working with a TV series, unless you're going to do a series where someone then shows up and because like, I would have almost loved if we got like a season that was the midnight society when Vink shows up in their town, but we never got that aspect. The whole idea is that we never see them outside of the woods and that's kind of okay. Yeah. Cause I would have never thought about seeing any more of their life, except the new series has done where you see it's about them experiencing insane things um, in their real lives. So, but I love, I love this episode. I, it's another one where I definitely think if people just wanted to like watch five, six episodes of just like something that really exemplifies the series. I think this one is one that should absolutely do it. Yeah. And I like you alluded to it. It's just a really tight narrative. It's like tight narrative bam, set up. Boom. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Resolution little twist at the end that he bought the theater mm-hmm. <laughs> the, could be like well then why don't you just buy I, I you could say well why don't you just buy the theater in the first place instead of doing the whole mm-hmm. deal i'm like because he's dr vink and he's a right. quirky fuck he, and he plays, likes to, he plays yeah. the long game he's playing yeah. the eternally long game well and i do think it, we're it entertained him yeah it did it did and really it's one of those things that i've been watching a lot of what we do in shadow and it's like if you are an eternal being your priority and your perspective of life in an in eternal situation becomes very different when you can just do things just because because you also mm-hmm. have the time to play the long game yeah um and i do think if we're comparing this and phantom cab which is the first episode um this is so much more succinct and tight i cared more i almost wanted uh the 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 cab driver to win in that first one um kind of deal just because they were like the worst oh terrible actors bad script um you know i thought it was an interesting first episode to do because i almost feel like they could have if they had the scripts of the like the stories you could move them around in almost any way because you know they were trying to give us a little plot here and there with the different mystery society kids but like uh you know this one is just so tight it's so good and it's so fun to see that like how much the show tightened up in like two seasons three seasons Mm -hmm. um Oh, because this is the episode two of season two. So, you know, in just one year of making the show, but like this also has a 9.5 out of 10 rating, which I totally absolutely agree with. It's just really, really tight. And if you like, a, if you like a monster movie, this is definitely one to watch. Um, uh, again, it's just it's, funny. Uh, we each pick ones that like, were this stuck with us for very different reasons, but there was like a, th- yeah. a thread. Uh, there was like a through line for, but like yours st- stuck with you in somewhat similar. And mine were ones like these are ones that like stuck with me because they legitimately scared me as a yeah. kid. They, yeah. Like, well, and they are, you know, they're things that like we're legitimately still like I could still find myself legitimately afraid of um, today. So you know, yeah. I'm not. I think I think it's great. Um, I think that, you want to talk about real quick that opening credits sequence is creepy. It's so creepy. The kids like giggling and it's, yeah, just the shots of different it's, things. It's got motion. major, it's got major, uh, eerie Indiana vibes. Yeah. Um, which, you know, same, same time. So 
Pat, during this time, we've got shows like Erie, Indiana, Mysterious Life of Alex Mack, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Goosebumps, even Animorphs when we get up to like 1998 that are playing with this like body horror and like suspenseful things. Why do you think it's as a storyteller important or necessary for us to have accessible stories for like children's or like younger versions of like horror and suspense? And how do you think it's influenced a whole generation now of people who are enjoying this kind of thing on like a larger like level as adults oh man that's a big question um as far as as far as like giving kids younger people this kind of i think it's really good from a like get them out of their comfort zone Mm -hmm. a little bit something that's slightly scary or like is it the body horror it may, you know they just kind of re-examine what it means to be yourself or what you know it, it, um i think it's it's one of those things where that can it can inspire uh can um uh, inspire growth you know when you put people in put in an uncomfortable situation kids and you want to kind of walk that line right you don't want to like traumatize kids but i think a lot of these shows you know do a good i think we're getting better at it with content as far mm-hmm. as you look at some of the kids programming like no this is just traumatizing like yeah. freaking like secret anim type shit where it's huh. like <laughs> yeah um but then you get better it's just good i think it's you know new situations um unsure situations uh foster growth yeah. as a person um i always joke with our with my children my kids and it's serious though i feel like when we haven't been able to travel obviously for obvious reasons as much as we'd like to in the last couple of years but I've always said like a lot of their milestones when they're really young, like to crawling or walking mm-hmm. or toddling or speaking a lot of that. I've, I always noticed, I would notice like leaps happening after we take a trip. I don't know. It's just something about like, mm-hmm. you, you know, they always say like travel is one of the best things for to just open up our minds, open up our understandings. Um, I think new situations and challenging situations are just so good for us. Mm-hmm. And it's challenging. Watching something that is unsettling is challenging. It's like we don't, you know, it 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 forces you to reckon with that. Like I'm kind of uncomfortable watching this. How do I deal with that? It's I think it's really good for you, you know, like a very good mental exercise. Yeah. Um, what was the second part of the question? It was about like how how do you think shows like this and Goosebumps and like Goosebumps is a book series, even things like Animorphs have inspired like generations of like now adults to like be obsessed with horror but also things like true crime in a way that like we might not have been without you know because most of us weren't allowed to sit and watch um unsolved mysteries and things but like this was our version of all unsolved mysteries how do you think this informed kind of uh the growth into such an obsession with like horror and true crime now that's a really good question. I'm just, that's kind of hard for me to answer because I actually personally am a little bit of an outlier. I'm not a big, mm-hmm. I'm one of the few people that is an avid podcast maker and listener who does not listen to a true crime podcast on a regular basis. Um, I'm the one. And that being said, I did watch, I did watch only murders in the building and loved it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's definitely inspired us to, 
kind of like we want to do our own version of that. Like what's our version of that? What is something that is somewhat dangerous and scary, but kind of safe too mm-hmm. and interesting. And then um, I guess with true crime stuff, you could argue they're trying to also help in a way, like if they can actually help solve a case or take a different angle at it. So it's kind of a blend of we're fascinated with the stuff that's kind of scary to us, but at the same time, we're also trying to do something positive with it. Yeah. Um, I just feel like, you know, over the last uh, hellscape of the last like five years, the, if there's one, one of the good things is those of us that are, are not shitheads. It's, I think I feel more motivated than ever or less to, to make sure I am affecting positive change around me and speaking, you know, speaking up and not, you know, in just being, being much more proactive in pushing against the shittiness of our society because the, the shittiness has really come out over the last five <laughs> yes, years and, yes, it's, it and they are pushing hard against us. Yeah. So we have to push back and uh, they, they crawled out from another rocks and uh, they got, you know, so I think it's a combination of we're fascinated by things that scare us, but also we're trying to do it in a positive way. Awesome. I have no I idea if that makes, I have no, no idea if that makes sense. I, I also <laughs> think it gives people a feel of control over their own lives, especially with like, I was talking with someone the other day about upcoming project that like queer people and women tend to be like the largest, uh, partakers of true crime because i think it somehow gives us agency and control over our own existence Mm -hmm. when it's still dangerous for us to literally exist outside i think in those situations the uh, kind of obsession over true crime helps us also be prepared for those moments where something is inevitably going to happen but pat thank you for coming again on the show today i wanted to have you on so that people could go and get both space trip and which also has a new version out with extra content right yeah yeah so mm-hmm. if you just if you go to my website it's the easiest way to do this if you go to the pat links to everything i'm working on are there so there are links to both space tripping books so yeah the the first book was was originally released a few years ago i went i moved to a new publisher and then we re-released it as an updated version and i and i wrote an extra short story that was included in this that you can get and then the sequel is now you know finally coming out depending on when you're listening to this, it, if it's after, if it's December 9th or after you can buy it now, or you can pre-order it. If it's before links to both of those links to the D and D projects I'm working on the podcast, the shows I do um, come check, check me out. I have fun. I'm a lot of fun on Twitter at the pet Edwards. I'm at, the, I'm at the, it's the pet Edwards across, you know, hashtag branding, you know, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, TikTok. Uh, Ko-fi, how do you pronounce it? Coffee, Ko-fi, coffee. My website, everything is the Pat Edwards. Amazing. So, find me wherever. And if anybody remembers our Inklings episode ballad of Dr. Sprinklehoof, Pat wrote that as well. Oh, that's right. From last yeah. year. So go check that again yeah. as well. But Pat, thank you as always for being on the show. Thank you for having me. We've made difficult decisions. And there are still more ahead of us. Two people aren't enough to save the galaxy. We need the toughest. Smartest. Deadliest allies. We need you. We need you to join us. And listen to Reignite. A certain point of view podcast about storytelling. Love. And Mass Effect. 
Join us every other Thursday as we fight for the fate of an entire galaxy. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. Or at certainpov.com slash reignite. We're counting on you. We should go. Thank you all for tuning in, as always, to another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. It was so nice to have Pat on the show. A reminder, if you go over to Patreon and search Dole Whip and Dreams for $2 a month, you can tell us you love what you're doing. We have five or six new shows that will be coming that are both short run and long term shows in 2022. And that money will just help us pay researchers, writers, and help make the team greater. Now join us next time as I take a deep dive into the classic John Carpenter's Halloween. Yes, that's right. We are finally doing Halloween. We'll see you next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday morning coverage. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.